Okay, everybody, welcome into the Patriots Beat Podcast, powered by the CLNS Media Podcast Network and brought to you by our good friends at betonline.ag. I am Evan Lazar, joined this week by Greg Thompson of Cover One. He covers the Buffalo Bills, of course, the Patriots and the Bills, set to take part in their first game of the season on Sunday. All the great folks at Cover One, Greg, of course, Aaron, Eric, uh, your whole team over there just does fantastic work. I almost like want to become one of you guys and just join Bill's Mafia so that I can, you know, break down tape with you guys all afternoon. That's, that's sort of their thing, just like mine. So Greg, thank you so much for coming on. We're doing a little home and home series here as well. If people want to listen to this from the opposite perspective from last night of me breaking down the Patriots for the Bills fans. Yeah, no, thank you for having me on. It was great for you to join us last night. And I think that we'll get more into it today that this is, a lot bigger game than five and two against two and four normally feels. It's, it's kind of crazy how, how much anxiety there is certainly on the Bills Mafia side. And I think for slightly different reasons, uh, within, you know, kind of the, the Pats fan group that it's going to be quite a game. That's interesting that you say that there's anxiety on the Bills Mafia side because if I was an opponent looking at this Patriots team right now, and, and I think that this is sort of not only Bills Mafia, but the rest of the, the, the country, Vegas, I think that there's this Patriots aura and this Bill Belichick aura that still exists even though Tom Brady isn't here anymore. Because if you looked at this team as an objective observer from the outside looking in, I wouldn't be afraid to play the Patriots at all right now. But it doesn't sound like Bill's Mafia is feeling that. They're sort of still feeling, okay, it's still Belichick, it's still the Patriots. Yeah, I think that's – it's funny. I think that's a part of it. I think that there's a, a wounded dog mentality. I think that there's, you know, obviously 20 years of being beaten into submission by Belichick is, is hard to unlearn all at once. But I think that's part of it is that we're not used to having expectations. We're not used to being favored in a matchup with the Patriots. We're not used to going into a game with the Patriots on a three game, you know, literally there hasn't been a game with a three game losing streak because they never lose three in a row. Um, So it's just weird that you combine, you know, what this could mean for division, uh, you know, leadership purposes, you know, three and four versus six and or uh, five and three is way different than six and two versus two and five, you know, with a game in hand, that kind of thing on top of the emotional element of, well, hey, if Sean McDermott's ever going to beat Bill Belichick, this certainly needs to be the start of it. And all those things that go along with that on top of the fact that now we're kind of supposed to, it, it just creates a lot of, a lot more anxiety than a, just a week eight regular season game would normally ever have. Absolutely. And not to, you know, rub it in, but the Patriots are what, six and oh against Sean McDermott in the three years that he has been the coach there in Buffalo. So that, that's what you meant by finally getting over that hump if you're Buffalo. I want to start with the Bills offense though and, and just make our way to the other side of the ball eventually as well. But offensively, look, I, I think watching Josh Allen play this year and I'm sure that Bills Mafia could go ahead and dig up old tweets of mine where I'm, you know, crapping all over Josh Allen, the draft <laughs> process. You're not alone. I am not alone, and I am willing to say my this is my mea culpa. You know, this is my apology to all the Bills fans. Please don't harass me on Twitter. I apologize for being wrong about Josh Allen, but why have we been so wrong, and how has he kind of developed into this uh, top-five quarterback for most of the season at this point? 
So, and I think this, this season's been a good one. So I'll, I'll talk about that in a second, but I'll, I'll start by going back a couple steps. Um, I think that all the world of analytics and probability has given people false impressions of the likelihood of outcomes. So yeah. when Josh Allen was coming out and people were saying, he has the highest bust rate in our metric in the history of measuring that they weren't making it up. It was his, his film at Wyoming was bad. Like it, it wasn't good. His statistics were horrible. He wasn't, you know, you look at how many people weren't elite 11 high school quarterbacks. How many, how many quarterbacks were zero star recruits? How many went to Juco and then had to transfer and went to transfer to outside of a power five school and then struggled at that outside of power five school. There was the reason that everybody was so skeptical was legitimate. And the one element that came up and I, I admittedly, I was on my knees in my basement as the bills traded up to pick seven chanting Rosen, not Allen, Rosen, not Allen, Rosen, not Allen, just begging that, Oh my God, don't give us this ball of clay that I have no idea what's going to come around. What most of us got to find out, especially being able to be a little bit closer to the team, seeing more interviews, going to some of the different events like that, you could see and I, I made a lot of the analogies early on that he is what Jamarcus Russell could have been. He is what Jeff George could have been. And the reason I say it that way is he is unbelievably humble, unbelievably hardworking, willing to be coachable. Like he, he doesn't have that mentality of, no, I already know what I'm doing. He breaks down his mechanics every single game with Jordan Palmer and rips him apart every offseason resetting his base, resetting his shoulder angle, uh, where he keeps his offhand as he's uh, uh, tilting and looking at the torque and how he's able to get better rotation and use that God-given power that he has. And those other guys weren't willing to do that. So when those things happened early on, it wasn't that, that there was anyone wrong about how likely it was he would bust. It's that they didn't take into account that although it was maybe a 10% chance that he realized that potential, it was that if he did, it was going to be pretty special. Yeah, and, you know, it, it's funny because the guy that comes to mind for me when you start describing those things like breaking down throwing mechanics and the work ethic and the attitude is Cam Newton. You know, honestly, and I think a lot of people did draw comparisons to Cam and Josh Allen, or Josh Allen to Cam, I should say, when Josh Allen was coming out as sort of a – this is what he could be like. You know, I don't know if anybody thought that Josh Allen was going to be as good of a runner as he's been in the league based off of his college tape, but uh, in terms of, you know, him versus Cam, but I think in terms of the work ethic, this overall skill and talent, you know, those are the things that first stand out, obviously, is the arm talent, the ability to, to extend plays. And he's just like shaking off tackles in the pocket and, and, you know, sacks attempts in the pocket and getting out on the run. And I think the one thing that's really impressed me and impressed Bill Belichick as well, when he was asked about, you know, where have you seen the biggest improvements from Josh Allen are his ability to get through an entire progression, you know, Early on in his career and certainly early on in Patriots matchups, it was one read and run, right? You know, he would get back. He there. was the second read. Belichick, exactly. His legs were the second read. Belichick would take away the first read somehow or, or make it muddy it up a little bit to confuse Allen. And then he would either run or, or it would be sort of a, I guess a dangerous pass a lot of the time or an interception, a turnover. So I think that his ability mentally to take that next step, but also 
it's not just to me standing in the pocket and going one, two, three and, and making the right decision. It's also how under control he is now out of structure. Cause that was the one thing that I was worried about with him at Wyoming is that he would get out of structure and he would get into scramble drill mode and he would just be flinging it all over the yard. And it's like, yes, in college, when you have a hose, you can, you can do that. But once you get to the NFL, you know, these defensive backs are going to be a lot more aware of where you're going with the football and that's going to lead to turnovers. Now, when he gets out of structure and he gets on the move and he gets outside the pocket and makes throws on the run, they're, it seems like they're calculated now. It's like he knows where he's going with the ball. He knows where to keep it out of harm's way. And that wasn't always the case for him in the first couple seasons. Yeah, and I think this season is a really good microcosm of that because, you know, obviously the first four games were unbelievable. And I think when people talk about coming down to earth in these last couple games, just for people to understand, his first four games, he was on pace for 5,700 yards and 60 touchdowns. So obviously everyone is going to come down to earth from that. It would have been an NFL record season. So, of course, there was going to be some regression. The part that's encouraging for me is – He's not the reason that they lost those games to Tennessee and to Kansas City. He's not the problem in any of those games anymore. And in previous years, it was the defense is going to keep us in it. If Josh plays well, we win. If Josh plays poorly, we lose, point blank. And that that was just how every game worked. In these games now, I'm actually – my biggest reassuring part, I always knew there was a high ceiling and that he'd have those spike games that were going to be crazy. I was a little unsure on the floor seeing the floor here in that these bad games are still 65% completion percentage and 288 yards or 70% completion percentage and 300 yards and no interceptions, those kind of games, I didn't expect that to be the low end of the iffy performances. And, I mean, there's still a lot more to go. He needs to make this sustainable for it to matter. But if that is the case, the Bills are talking about a much different trajectory over the next 10 years than what people had assumed because that just, you know, the the rising tide raises all boats. Like it it just makes everyone else around him uh, better if he's able to do that. I'm glad you brought up because I was going to transition us into this next, just the last three games and sort of what has happened with the statistical regression that you mentioned. A lot of is being made about blueprints from the Tennessee game. And I thought it was really interesting when I went in back, back to watch that Tennessee game because that was the blueprint game, right? So I went back there to see what the Patriots might do to slow down Allen. And I was pleasantly surprised that he actually played pretty well in that game. You know, it really wasn't his fault, as you mentioned, but there is sort of this blueprint out there now of playing two high coverages against Allen, forcing him to beat you by death by a thousand paper cuts instead of just that one big play over the top to John Brown or Stephon Diggs. And his statistics against two high shells is definitely worse than what it is against like cover one or cover three. So what what have you seen with him against those types of looks? And, you know, is is that what you would say has been the biggest problem for him over the last three games? For sure. And I think that the first four games made sense too, because if you were coming up last year, and you were saying, hey, he's the worst deep passer in the NFL statistically. We'll dare you to beat us deep, and we'll just run good man coverage underneath and, and dare you to, to beat us over top. And he did, and he did again, and he right. did again. And then eventually teams are like, all right, all right, all right, we got it. Uh, now we're going to take that away from you. Do you have the discipline 
and the consistent discipline to just take what the defense has given you and not force it into coverage. And I think you've seen it progressively. You know, he he still wanted it against the Titans, and he forced a couple balls in there. You saw a little bit less against that at Kansas City. You saw none of it against the Jets. It was frustrating to not put it in the end zone. He never put one out into dangerous coverage deep. I think that's going to be the real balance. And are they able to now be consistent enough underneath to force teams to maybe come up a little bit? And now you're not going to get as many deep shots as you did the first four games, but maybe you get a couple and can you hit on one of them now to be able to do that? Um, so I, I'm still, it's very much in Josh's nature to want to take the ball down the field, to want to take those deep shots to show off what is, you know, potentially the most powerful right shoulder on earth, uh, you know, to be able to do that. I understand wanting to do those things, but so far he's shown a willingness to hit Cole Beasley on those little bubble screens, to hit guys on those crossers, to hit more of the running backs out of the backfield. I think the more he can mix that in, the better chance he has to open up those deeper shots. And we, as Bills fans, we just have to hope he has the discipline to stick with it. And that, you know, especially when they get behind, he wants to be the reason they come back and win. He's going to put put himself out there to be able to do that. And it, it's going to be tough any any other way around it. Yeah, that's that's a great way of pointing it. Of just it's just the willingness, and I think that people, coaches, I should say, are are willing to bet that consistently he's not going to make eight, nine, ten throws a drive, you know, right on the money at eight yards when a guy breaks off a, a curl or something like that, versus him just throwing it, you know, sixty five yards down the field into an area and letting John Brown run underneath it. That, that definitely seems to be more of his type of game. So the aggressiveness aspect of it's really interesting to watch him. You can tell in his head, he's like, damn, you know, not again, not a too high shell again. You know, I can't, you know, I got John on this, on this deep over route here and I, I just want to pull the trigger, but they're, they're putting a guy over the top of it every single time. So now I got to find Cole Beasley or now I got to find the back and I, I got to check it down. I got to bring it down. And at least what it's done, you know, against the Jets, certainly. And the Titans game, I think, was a little bit more of an anomaly. But against the Chiefs and against the Jets, they kicked a lot of field goals, you know. And then that was the strategy. And I would assume that that's probably going to be part of New England strategy. Now, there is going to be times where New England is still going to play man-to-man cover one. And Allen's going to have some opportunities. They'll have post-safety help in the middle of the field. And they'll sort of play off of that. So maybe the Bills can pick and choose their deep shots based off the coverages by New England, but the Patriots have sprinkled in some cover two, some quarters, a little bit more over the last couple of years just to give something different to the offense, you know, so it's not all straight cover one and cover three all the time or zero or whatever. So I'm really fascinated to see how disciplined Belichick will be because remember, there is no extra guy in the box. There is no extra blitzer if you go too high. So how you, do you generate a pass rush, first of all? Second of all, how disciplined is Belichick and Steve Belichick in calling the defense and not getting out of those uh, two high shells? All right, the last thing I want to talk about here on the offense side of the ball from Buffalo is something that we talked about last night on your show. Then my good friend Dan Orlovsky listened to our show and took my idea this morning on Twitter. No, I'm, I'm just playing. Uh, the Bills trying to get into more heavy personnel packages – run jet sweeps, run the football on the ground, and take advantage of the true weakness of the Patriots' defense. 
can Buffalo do it? How have they done it? You know, do they have the personnel to get into like a Niners type of game plan? So the good, I mean, good, the good news for Bills fans, uh, the, the bad news for the Patriots is yes, you know, when you talk about the kind of quickness and short area movement, um, you know, Stefan Diggs has a lot of those in his past. John Brown has crazy, you know, speed. Cole Beasley's actually pretty good at it. The sneaky name is Isaiah McKenzie. Yeah. So Isaiah McKenzie is the gadget guy in the Bills offense. Um, they run him on a ton of those jet motions. They still use Diggs and Brown in movement. Um, but the vast majority of it is Isaiah McKenzie. He has a lot of carries. He has a lot of those cheesy pop pass catches that technically count as catches. I, I don't mind it because it inflates Josh's completion percentage. It makes my life easier. Um, but it's, it's something that's been a big part of their offense. Some games, I mean, to a, you know, 40, 45% of the time. So I do expect to see a great deal of that. Brian Dable is, is, you know, he, he's no fool. He's going to see the challenges they've had. I will say the, the speed out of the backfield is much different from San Francisco to Buffalo. Buffalo believes in contact balance, great vision, uh, tackle breaking. So Devin Singletary and Zach Moss are exceptional in breaking tackles, contact balance, keeping on their feet, good vision. They're not good athletes. They're actually below average athletes from an NFL running back standpoint. San Francisco believes the opposite. All they care about is raw athleticism, and then they figure the system will figure everything else out. If you can get to the corner, we'll get you the yards. Um, so it's different that way. But I do think, and uh, on top of that, Isaiah McKenzie is nifty. He's not Debo Samuel. He, he's not that kind of player. So it's going to be more the scheme. It's going to be more the intention of what they're doing. They're not going to have the raw athleticism that San Francisco had, and I think that's in, in uh, New England's favor. Yeah, you know, that that's to me how Dable decides to play this game offensively, I think, is what's going to ultimately decide if this game is competitive or not for the Patriots. If Dable comes out and he tries to spread the Patriots out and he wants to go 11 personnel like they usually do and put three wide receivers on the field, then that plays directly into New England's hands defensively, and I think the Patriots can stay in a game where Buffalo is trying to throw on the Patriots' secondary. I, I think that's a good matchup for New England. So to me, if I'm Buffalo, I go heavy. I bring in an extra tight end or I bring in a fullback and I try to do at least in the beginning of this game, like in your, you know, your game script, your 20 to 25 plays that you pre-plan going in, I would pre-plan going in to run jet sweeps, to run the ball out of the backfield, try to get into some heavy groupings and, and just pound the rock against this New England team and throw some of those passes behind the line of scrimmage, the pop passes or just little motion screens and stuff like that that San Francisco did. That, to me, you can beat the Patriots in other ways, too. I mean, look, Kansas City beat them at, at that at the, you know, spread them out type of game. They just outlasted them offensively with Brian Hoyer and Jared Stidham at quarterback for the Pats. You can beat them that way, but the only way the Patriots win games right now is if the game script follows a certain pattern. And if you get into a situation with Bill Belichick, who has the personnel in the secondary to shut down this Buffalo passing attack that has a Gilmore, that has a Devin McCourty and JC Jackson and all those guys. He has the chess pieces to be able to mitigate this Buffalo passing attack. You get into three and out situations, you get into turnover situations over you're the bills, which is extra possessions for the Patriots. And then on the other side of the ball, which we'll get to in a second, the Patriots can then run the football 
control the clock, control time of possession, and outlast Buffalo that way. And I think that that's, that's the way the Patriots win this game. And if Buffalo lets them do it, then we're, you know, I think the Bills could get into some trouble here with this one. Now, if Buffalo decides to, you know, first quarter they come out and there's motion everywhere and there's jet sweeps going on and there's little pop passes to Isaiah McKenzie or John Brown or whoever the case may be and there's shorter passes behind the line of scrimmage and they kind of beat them the way San Francisco did, then this could be, I don't know if it's going to be 33-6, to but it could be a game where Buffalo is up comfortably. So that, that's what I'm fascinated to see is if Dable can see that, if Dable can kind of alter his shift, shift his sort of plan a little bit here because they've been Buffalo. I think the, the only team that's been more aggressive passing on first and second down this year is the Seattle Seahawks. I, I think the Bills are right there in the top three or five of aggressiveness, right? Just it's shocking. <laughs> it's a very foreign feeling for us. Yeah, just throwing the football at will, like it's Madden, like, you know, like it's going out of style. And if they do that against New England secondary, it's, it could be an issue. It could be sort of a work against them in that case, because if you get, like I said, turnovers or quick drives for the Patriots defense and you get the ball back over to Cam Newton, then the Patriots can control the clock, run the football and keep Josh Allen on the sideline. And again, that's how the Patriots win this game. 100%. And that's the biggest risk. We'll talk about it here on the other side of the ball. But that mix of aggression in the sense that they know how important it is to score early, but not over-aggression to turn the ball over quickly in that worst-case scenario where the Patriots open up with two drives that eat the entire first quarter because you went three and out in between. You know, that's their worst case scenario, uh, for that. So it's going to be a healthy, it's going to be critical that they find a healthy mix to be able to be aggressive because they know how important getting up early is, but not so much that they play into the Patriots, uh, strategy. It's a great way of putting it because the Patriots will certainly take a couple of 15 play drives in the first quarter out of their offense and, you know, 10 minutes off the clock all of a sudden and a seven nothing lead. That means a lot for New England. You know, that, that oh, yeah. that's. That's a great start. All right, so let's move over to the other side of the ball just in a second. We're going to take a quick break, shout out our friends at betonline.ag, and then I'll be right back with Greg. The wait is finally over. Football is back. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on everything imaginable this season, from game spreads and totals to team player and coaching props bet online gives you more options to wager than any place online you can get it in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on win division and championship futures today head to bet online today and take advantage of all the great sign up bonuses bet online your online sportsbook experts we are back here on the Patriots Beat Podcast with Greg Thompson of Cover One, and we're going to talk about the Bills' defense against the Patriots' offense now. And the first question I want to get into before we get into the minutia of the Bills' run defense is I think that on this side of the ball for both teams, Patriots' defense, Bills' defense, there's been regression certainly from last year. And I just wanted to talk to you about Buffalo's regression in particular, because this one really surprises me. New England's regression. They lost a lot of guys from opt outs and free agency in the off season on the defense side of the ball. So you kind of got it right. I-, I wasn't expecting, I don't think anybody was expecting to see Buffalo's defense fall back to the pack this much. So I, I guess in a short, 
way shortest way possible so we're not here for three hours uh what happened you know how, how did we get here with the buffalo defense so i i do think it is personnel driven in that they had the wrong combination of injuries. So, you know, they had a game where they missed Ed Oliver, Matt Milano, and Trey White. Those might be the most important people at each layer of the defense. So some of it is maybe exposing some of the peripheral talent that probably was benefiting from having elite guys next to them more than what we realized. Maybe we were thinking – Tremaine Edmonds was his own stud when really it's he's pretty good when he's next to Matt Milano. We probably thought that the cornerback situation was stronger than what it was, but really you have a lot of luxuries when you can tilt away from a, tra- a Tredavious White. Um, you know, the, we knew going in that the offense, the defensive line was going to be undersized, but they had so many guys who could penetrate and get to the quarterback that we didn't think it was going to be a big deal. And then all of a sudden you take out Oliver out of that and it becomes a much bigger deal. Um, so it's, it's something that I think there's reason that the coaches have shown a history of getting this together. And very fortunately, although they've had very um, high rates of bad injury luck thus far, they actually haven't had any season ending ones. I'll knock on wood. Um, they've had a lot of soft tissue stuff, a lot of two and three week injury things, not a ton of, you know, Achilles and ACLs and just season enders. So I think there's reason to think that as you bring some of those guys back, there's potential to get back. It's, you know, it's not going to go back to the top two or three unit in the league like they've been the last couple of years, but I think there is still a top 10, top 12 defense floating around in there somewhere. Um, it just depends on how quickly they can get that back together here. Uh, and if anybody saw the Bills injury list yesterday, I don't know that this is the week that it's going to happen. Yeah, it was lengthy. There are some big names on there. And uh, you mentioned, you know, not seasoning getting injuries. And it's interesting because, knock on wood for the Patriots too, none of them have been truly season-ending to some of their big pieces, but they've really used that new three-week IR as a very – it's been very fluid all year long, let's put it to you that way, of guys like David Andrews or Josh Uche, a rookie linebacker that they drafted in the second round or whatever going on that three-week IR, Damian Harris, Sony Michelle, and, and coming back within three or four weeks, you know, not, not necessarily lingering on injured reserve. I'm glad you brought up Tremaine Edmonds because that's going to segue us into the run defense discussion. What the heck happened with Tremaine Edmonds because – Right now, and I, I'm not trying to pile on, Greg, but he has a PFF grade of like 39.7 or something like that overall, not not just against the run or the pass. And he is just his, – his grade against the run is, is in the red by a lot. And watching him play and, and watching ways that teams have run on Buffalo successfully planning for this game – a lot of misdirection, a lot of false keys, a lot of play action conflict. And it just seems like Edmonds is, is in his own head right now. It, it, that's spot on. And he's talked about that actually more transparently than most NFL players do. Um, and I think it really brought up the stress that losing Matt Milano put when he knew AJ Klein, Terrell Dodson, Andre Smith, whoever they put next to him, wasn't going to be able to do the normal thing. He tried to take it on himself to make superhero plays. He tried to read and react and was over pursuing getting in the wrong gap and leaving huge openings in what was there and realizing he talked about it, you know, this past week, Mavilano only played 15 snaps. The majority of the game was with AJ Klein, but he talked about 
having Leslie Frazier and Bobby Babich reassure him, you only have to be you. You only have to do your job. You can't do Matt's job and your job, no matter how bad you want to. It's not possible. NFL players are too good. You can't try to cover both areas. And getting him to just accept that, that, hey, we just need you to do your 111th well. Like, you don't need to be the guy that saves everything here. And here, let us show you on film that when you try to do that, not only do you not save us, you make it worse. You open up these huge gashing lanes that are just, you know, putting us at risk. So um, he was playing through a pretty nasty shoulder injury there for a while. I think that was getting in his head a little bit. Obviously, playing without Milano has exposed the fact that he's, you know, the crazy part is he's still only 22. Like, if he was in this draft class, he would have been uh, younger than 46 of the top 60 draft-eligible linebackers this year. In his third season. So it's kind of crazy how young he was when he came out. People forget that, that he's still a kid. Um, but it certainly has shown very clearly that there's a lot of development left. He's still a freak athlete. He's still 6'5", 260 with a seven-foot wingspan. And when you have a guy like that in the middle of the field and you have the other players around you, you're talking about this huge frame from a zone standpoint that just takes up space and takes away options crossing along the middle. Um that's all they need him to be. Just be that guy, clean up the mess, let the other guys in front of you. You know, they probably underestimated having an opt-out like Star Latule who can eat up double teams, hold the point of attack, keep your linebackers clean. They don't have that guy on the roster right now. There isn't a one technique who can do that, and they probably underestimated the impact on that happening there. So it's been, you know, all those little pieces have added up to undeniably a poor season by Tremaine Edmonds so far. My only hope is that getting some of those other things around him can let him refocus on that and then get back to just being good. Yeah, Matt Milano is a player that, just from a Patriot perspective, we have noticed is a really, really good football player and somebody that I think his first game against the Patriots, he put Gronk, you know, he strapped Gronk pretty darn good a couple of times coming up the seam. And I was like, okay, this guy can, this guy can play. You know, he, he's all over Gronkowski. And this was back in like 2018 when Gronk was, you know, still at least a little bit at the peak of his powers and wasn't, hadn't completely regressed yet physically for New England. And, and you're, you're looking at and you're like, Milano is just running with them right down the middle of the field. Like, it's nothing. So I, I agree 100% that Milano not being there, not being 100% has definitely contributed to this run defense. But I was watching you know, just the big – I take, like, the 10, 15 biggest runs against Buffalo this year, and I watch them all in sequence to see what is – are the Patriots going to run any of these schemes? You know, where can they take advantage? And you just watch a lot of these teams run, like, split-flow zone or just sort of misdirection type of plays. And Jermaine Edmonds, nine times out of ten, is just in the wrong place or not reacting well to it. There's also yeah. a crack toss, which I thought kind of summed up what you were saying about him, like, over-pursuing plays against Josh Jacobs and the Raiders back in, I think, was that week four. Mm -hmm. where Tremaine Edmonds, all he's got to do is squeeze Josh Jacobs to the sideline and use the outside corner and the nickel and kind of just, you know, everybody meet in the middle type of thing. And instead he overruns it to the outside trying to make a play behind the line of scrimmage and he ends up vacating the entire gap for Josh Jacobs who goes for 17 yards. So a lot of that going on. You mentioned the undersized part of aspect of it too, of the Bills front, you know, 
how concerning is this as as a Buffalo fan, knowing that the Patriots are coming in here with a very good rushing attack that can be bully ball on you and run for 200 yards on Sunday? So, I mean, it's a hundred percent a concern. It's it's part of the honestly part of the analytics movement of football in that if you build what healthy when healthy what is potentially the best pass defense in the NFL when you talk about the coverage abilities of Milano and Tremaine Edmonds and having Trey White and then Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer and all the pieces that they have, that's what they built is to do that. And then an eight, nine man rotation on the defensive line who all have plus pass rushing ability. You're okay to be able to say, Hey, every time you run the ball, we know that that's a positive EPA, you know, in our favor. So right. go ahead run the ball and we'll, and then in the first four games, it was, we'll outscore you anyways. That's fine. Slow it down. Try to take these long methodical drives. We know that eventually when you get to third and nine, we're going to get you. And from a strategy standpoint, I support it. I think that that is the way to win in today's NFL. The hard part is then when you do that, you're already inviting risk. You're already taking on a gamble to some extent and then if you have any injuries to those key players, all of a sudden now, now you don't have the pass defense that you thought you had. So they can convert on some of those. And then every time they convert a third down, they're right back to first and 10. And now when it becomes cyclical that now you're giving that up and it's second and three and you're giving up a first down before they even get to third down, it, it just really unraveled very quickly. So it, it certainly is the biggest risk here. And I think that when you take the undersized defensive tackle group that the Bills have with the interior, with Mason Andrews and Tooney, it's just such a concern for me that they're going to be able to do that. And and I hope that obviously my my biggest thing I'm going to cling to is Leslie Frazier and Sean McDermott know that that is their only shot in this game that Cam Newton is not beating them over top. There's nobody that's beating Trey White deep. There's no person to take the top off this defense. Their only shot is to cram the ball down your throat, whether you want to or not. So my only hope is that they know that too and sell out completely to stop it. Right. That's, that's definitely what we're seeing. I would say in new England recently is a lot of just, you know, post safety coverages to put an extra guy in the box. Safety's getting involved in the running game, knowing that no one's going to beat them over the top against Denver, you know, Justin Simmons basically just, play like a linebacker in that game because he just knew that he didn't need to worry about the deep ball or anything like that. So I wouldn't be surprised if Buffalo goes with a similar strategy with Poyer and Micah Hyde and walks those guys right up into the box and into the line of scrimmage. I want to get into this last point before we uh, wrap things up. I have zero confidence whatsoever the Patriots are going to be able to throw on anybody right now. But if they were to have some success through the air, where would you attack this Buffalo secondary? And is there any sort of weaknesses that you guys have been able to figure out so far? Um, yeah, I definitely think so. They've had some musical chairs in the secondary. Obviously they've had um, Jordan Poyer and Micah Hyde each game, but Micah Hyde's in the concussion protocol. They haven't played a game without Micah Hyde in three years. So he has been a huge quarterback of that defense the entire time. Um, he was at practice yesterday. So, you know, I know the stages you get in the concussion protocol, being out there in the light with a uniform on going through drills with the team means he's obviously progressed to some extent. Um, so I think it's possible that he plays. I don't know if it's likely. Um, 
Then you look at the rotation they've had. They had Levi Wallace for the first couple of games. Then they had Josh Norman. Both of them are out right now. Um, Levi Wallace just started his practice uh, coming back from the IR, so he's eligible for this weekend, but, again, unlikely. Um, Cam Lewis and Dane Jackson are a UDFA and a seventh-rounder who have actually showed okay. They've been all right. Um, Taron Johnson has been the biggest one that it's tough because – he might be the best tackling nickel cornerback in the league. He's awesome at sniffing out uh, screens and, you know, just shooting himself in there, and he's getting roasted in coverage. So that's my biggest one there is Edelman on Taron Johnson is my biggest concern. Your best receiver against our worst corner. Um, they're going to have to have extra attention there. I feel comfortable, you know, obviously I feel comfortable Trey White on an island with any combination of Bird or or Harry or whoever is out there, depending. I know Harry was in concussion protocol as well, right. I believe. Um, so depending on who who's out there and, and what we start seeing, the other side, you know, obviously there's some athleticism that if Bird gets deep with somebody like Dane Jackson or Cam Lewis, uh, there's a concern there. But you, Micah Hyde and Jordan Poor usually cover most of those. It's Edelman versus Taron Johnson is my biggest concern. Well, we've been waiting for Edelman to look a little bit more like Julian Edelman of old over the last couple of weeks. And it's certainly Edelman struggles and Cam struggles have coincided, which makes sense. You know, when your number one receiver is not playing like a number one, then it's obviously going to be harder on your quarterback. So, again, I'm not confident the Patriots are going to be able to throw against any secondary right now. I think you could throw out, you know, Alabama's secondary against them right now, and, and Bama might look pretty good. So uh, I'm not too it's, – It's really just keeping them honest. It, you know, yeah. I, I think that they know the run game is going to be the core of it. It's can you convert a few of those third downs? Can you then convert the run game into play action and, you know, make them second guess settling out to stop the run – uh, just enough times, you know, that you, you you guys know the recipe that you saw the 40 runs to 18 passes. You still need the 18 passes. Th- those still matter. You can't literally run the ball every single play. So it's just enough to keep them honest is what concerns me. Yeah, absolutely. You know, week one is sort of the formula. I think, again, this week for the Patriots, week one against Miami, they ran the ball about 45 times. They threw it about 20. Cam was 15 for 20 just because they kept it basic. They kept it simple. And I think right now the Patriots have gotten way too complex in their drop-back passing game, and that that's why we've seen them struggle. Uh, Greg, I really appreciate you doing this. Is there anything that you want to shout out, anything you want to uh, point in people in the direction of uh, now is your chance to give all the shout-outs? that you want. Sure. No, I appreciate it. Yeah, you guys can come find me. I'm, I'm usually pretty reasonable to, to follow on, on Twitter, so I'm, it's at Greg Thompson. Um, all the team over at Cover One does a great job. Obviously, my job is very Bills-centric, but we have an awesome team that covers – you know, incredible in-depth uh, draft breakdown. So Russell Brown and Christian Page do an awesome job on the draft side. Eric does fantastic video breakdowns of different players all the time. Um, you can learn a lot from the game of watching him. And, and I think that, Evan, you're right on that same path of just having the understanding of modern coverage schemes, modern route combinations, being able to see really what's going on and why. And that, you know, he, I, I'm much more emotional than what Eric is. And he really helps me when I overreact to things and, and get upset of, Oh my gosh, why did Taryn get, uh, you know, toasted on that? And he's like, well, he had the under route and the guy had the over route and it was actually a great throw over to the corner. And that there's not a lot you can do to beat that. It, he didn't get beat. That's what his job was. Um, so I get mad at him for explaining to me why I shouldn't be mad. Um, but it's uh, it's great and, and certainly worthwhile to come check out. So cover one.net, uh, the cover one app, and uh, you can find us at the cover one uh, Buffalo podcast. 
I can't recommend these guys enough people. Eric is one of those people that has certainly inspired me to do more film breakdowns on Twitter. And he always shows me up with all of his fancy editing and stuff like that. You know, he's, he's much better at that than I am. So uh, definitely go and give everybody a cover one to follow here on the Patriots B podcast. We'll be back next week uh, with the New England's next matchup. But until then, on Sunday, we will have wall-to-wall coverage, obviously, unfortunately, not going to Buffalo this year. But we'll still have you covered from home Patriots bills uh, before, during, after the usual routine. And make sure to go read my Patriots game plan for this game that will be out on Friday on clnsmedia.com. So thanks again once again to our guest, Eric, uh, Greg Thompson. I almost called you Eric Turner because I'm still thinking about how Eric always shows me up with those film reviews. <laughs> He's crazy. He's right? crazy. He's I, so I good. I keep asking him, I'm like, how do you do it with the editing? You're like, teach me your ways, Yoda, you know? And uh, he's, he's definitely given me a lot of pointers. So uh, for Greg Thompson, once again, I'm Evan Lazar. Thanks for listening.